and um, I'm really proud now to be part of this company whereby, based upon our business model, we are able to, you know, help those in, in countries similar to the one in which I grew up, where people may not have access to electricity or they may be affected by a natural disaster. And again, you know, our lights provide not only light, but many of them also provide mobile charging capabilities, which is essential, you know, in the time of a natural disaster. We simply make products for people. And if you make a product for someone that they enjoy using, high design, not at necessarily a high price, um, that person will utilize that product and it will be good for them, their community, and the environment. Welcome to Mindful Businesses, presented by Sarani, and I'm your host, Padia Ayer. In our podcast, we bring to you brands which are mindful in their practices and processes. A mindful business adopts and employs sustainable social, economic, and environmental practices. Today, we have with us John Salinger, founder, and Sangha Jung, CEO of Empowered, the power of sun in your hands. Welcome, John and Sangha. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Since record keeping of temperatures, climates began in 1895, our temperatures in the US have risen about 1.5 to 1.9 degrees. That doesn't seem such a big of a jump, say over 125 years. So why is it a big deal? So happy to speak to that. Obviously, just small incremental change in temperature creates massive ocean uh, rising. And I think some of the data suggests a couple of degrees and we're all underwater. So that is not insignificant at all. That would be the new math. And what has impacted this change in general? What happened over the last so many years to bring about these increases in temperature. You can go on Exxon Mobil's website and they'll tell you that it's obviously known by the scientific community that humans are impacting this change, uh, emissions, mm-hmm. in particular CO2. What about the people say you must recycle, you do all these on your individual levels, but what I have read is there are five or six companies worldwide which contribute to the majority of the greenhouse gases that we have in our environment today? I would say that it's several countries that are the major contributors based upon their insatiable demand for resources and for products um, and services that require resources in order to you know, create them. The globe is such that there is inequity in resource distribution. The output of some countries mm-hmm. directly impacts you know, how we're all able to live. So, John, you started Empowered, right? What did you do before? <laughs> this is going to be a long podcast. I did a lot. I worked at a tech company. I worked at a finance company. I worked in fashion photography. I ran event spaces and nightclubs in New York City and Times Square. Um, I've done a slew of different things. And I worked for Associated Press and and ABC News. So I've sort of seen marketing, sales, operations, finance, and that sort of enabled me to do something that was much more purposeful for me, something that was much more meaningful for me. Mm-hmm. So I took the skill sets that I learned along the way and then decided to found a B Corp and Benefit Corporation, utilize those skill sets 
to do good, but also to bring some meaning to my life and my existence, a short existence on this planet. So were you always an innovator growing up, trying to tinker with things and do stuff? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to tell you that I created the newest form of lemonade when I was a three-year-old, but I didn't. You know, for me, it was more a progressive upbringing by my parents. I do owe a ton to them on People and Planet, and I speak on that any chance I get. How was it different? I was brought up in such a way, I was a different generation where you sort of fend for yourself as a kid. I was a fourth child, so, you know, <laughs> maybe I was there, maybe I wasn't. Didn't matter. They were professionals at that point and realized the less attention, the better. And so both were psychologists, actually. But in terms of, you know, how my upbringing was either different or not. You know, my parents grew up in a time and marched in the 60s, etc., and felt that you're not here alone and you have to take care of your home and your home being your planet. And they instilled that. At that time, how different that was in terms of parenting, I think it was probably generally known in popular parenting. Mm -hmm. I think maybe that might be coming back now, hopefully. Um, but I do think they, it resonated with me. My mother you know, worked on grants for abused public school kids, as an example, and got millions of dollars. My father was the head of science for the American Psychological Association. So they did sort of these macro, progressive, um, social, impactful programming for their entire careers. I don't know if they ever sat me down and said, you know, people and planet, but they definitely led by example and it resonated. And mm -hmm. when I found it empowered, I felt meaning. And I'm sure that is why. That was ingrained at a young age. As a parent, I was wondering, because, you know, we all know the millennial Gen Zs are so conscious about the environment, about social, environmental, economic impacts they have. So I was wondering, did we do something right? Did we do something wrong? As a parent, what created that? And I was wanted to see you're from a different generation, but have pretty strong values in along the same lines. And so when did you start Empower? Oh, that was July in 2012. Tell me a little bit about the impetus. Did you innovate? Did you create the products? How did it start? 40 iterations of the first product that I worked with co-founder on. And it was challenging at first um, because I hadn't been in product specifically before, but I had gone to Haiti and saw challenges that people that aren't as lucky or fortunate as I was. I grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and although it was a little shakier of a neighborhood than it is now, and we are all fine sort of in the West in general, not all of us, but most of us. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like, you know, at the time, seeing in our hemisphere, uh, seeing the state of life, actually, Mm -hmm. uh, in Haiti uh, was very difficult for me. And so actually being there right after the earthquake, seeing the sort of global neglect that the country has and still faces to this day, um, which has caused inner turmoil, etc., plus a natural disaster, it was devastating. You know, I've said it many times, but you don't need a focus group. You just need, a, you know, a heart and a soul and you need some morality and you need to understand that, you know, there's a few areas that we take for granted. So whether it's, you know, technology or transportation or food or health or water or light or energy in our case, you know, any of those areas that we take for granted, what we're doing here today requires almost all of those. And we're in good health because of all of those. And so when you go to a place like Haiti, which is so close to us on the island of Hispaniola, and you see the impact on human beings that aren't as lucky in terms of where they were born, you almost have to do something or you absolutely get affected. Mm -hmm. What you do with that, you know, is your own choice. But for me, I had to do something. 
And light was an energy, was an opportunity that I thought we could subsidize through sales in a developed market into emerging markets such as Haiti, Sub-Saharan Africa, Southeast Asia, Central and South America. So what was this first product? Uh, the first product was Lucy Original, right? and it was our first product. Uh, and it was a simple solar light, but there were a couple of dynamic changes to it. There are tons of lanterns in the market. Coleman is an example, a massive global company. However, you know, most lanterns you have to hold upright because you know, the kerosene, et cetera, or they have issues with you know, moving parts and components, or they're not IP67, excuse me, waterproof. Mm -hmm. They're not compactable. They're heavy. Uh, they're hard to ship, especially into the last mile or to an emergency response and preparedness. So we changed all of that. We created an inflatable solar light, no moving parts, maintenance-free, long-lasting, uh, that solved a human problem and averted CO2. So when you say inflated, like I blow on it, like I would blow on an inflatable tube? But you can inflate it. It's pretty simple. It's technology like a raft. You simply inflate it. It becomes larger. There are different diffusions on all of our lights. We have, you know, 15 SKUs. And at this point, the company has grown into speakers, into smart lights, into all sorts of string lights, all sorts of other lights. But they're all transformative. And they all have this opportunity to sort of change and give a wow factor to the consumer. Because we do make products for people. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone likes a nice feel and a good product, a product that frankly makes you happy and gives you social capital because you'll use it. Did you create this product? Did you innovate? How were you the in inventor? I wasn't the inventor uh, listed on the first product. That was Jason Snyder. Um, however, every product since I'm an inventor on, and since Sunga joined the company, she's been an inventor on every single product since we've been working together. And that's been phenomenal based on her background as well, which I'm sure we'll get into because it's really relevant. But it is sort of, it's an ideation, it's a blue sky, it's innovation, it's problem solving. The technology is, is out there and what we're really good at and empowered is aggregating that technology. We're not creating the newest NASA rocket. You know, we're just improving upon and aggregating technologies that are in the world today. So Sangha, when did you come on board? Did you join in 2012 or at a later point in time? I joined at a later point in time, so I'm coming up on my fifth year anniversary in July, but I was brought into the company after a series of other CEOs. Mm -hmm. um, as John alluded to, my background is somewhat relevant in that I was born into um, what was then an emerging market, and I did not have access to electricity or running water in our own home. We did use kerosene lights, uh, lanterns at home. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm really proud now to be part of this company whereby, based upon our business model, we are able to, you know, help those in, in countries similar to the one in which I grew up, where people may not have access to electricity, or they may be affected by a natural disaster. And again, you know, our lights provide not only light, but many of them also provide mobile charging capabilities, which is essential, you know, in the time of a natural disaster. So where did you grow up? I grew up in South Korea, but it was before South Korea became a tiger economy. And I grew up along the coast. You know, it was very, very different during that time. You know, there were no cars and no indoor plumbing. The country is vastly different now, but mm -hmm. there are still many parts of the world that look very similar 
to where I grew up. You mentioned that you are a B Corp. What is a B Corp? Yeah, so a B Corp is an organization that's certified by bcorporation.net, and it's a for-purpose company. And every year you are, or every two years actually, uh, you're looked at as to your internal values and how you, you know, lay those out in your company with your staff and your consumption of electricity, or and then also what is your impact on the world at large? That's weighed out and sometimes investigated and ensured that you get a score that is equivalent to those around you or measured in an equivalent way to those around you. Mm-hmm. You know, we're pleased to have excellent scores every year. We've improved every year and we were a B Corp from the very beginning. So although we're not uh, Ben and Jerry's or Patagonia, uh, we are a, sort of a pioneer in the industry. We're really pleased to sort of lead that movement. I mean, we should also probably talk about benefit corporation. Maybe Sangha can allude to that because that's equally important. Right. So what are the values, Sangha, that empowered brought forth to be able to be certified as a benefit corporation? So the benefit corporation is a legal status we have as a company in addition to being a regular LLC. In terms of the benefit corporation, we are legally upheld to certain standards for our stakeholders um, and our shareholders. And those standards, you know, include everything from environmental sustainability to community diversity. There are a whole host of metrics that we look at. And again, being a benefit corporation undergirds these values by saying that you know, in addition to traditional profit, mm-hmm. we as a company are upholding these values um, to be as important as, you know, what we generate in terms of profitability. So there is this uh, B Corporation, which is certified by B Lab, and then there is the Benefit Corporation. So you are both. Was it a lot of paperwork? Was it cumbersome to do it? Because often we have other listeners or entrepreneurs who want to become a benefit corporation. It sort of gives you a pathway to thinking about sustainability and different issues. So was it, did it require a lot of paperwork? We did both of these from the beginning. You still have to register with the state as something. You still have to register federally. And so you just choose that instead. The benefit corporation is is not difficult at all. And B, being a B corporation, it's a two-year responsibility. Mm-hmm. If your company is doing the right thing, it's pretty easy. If your company isn't, it's not as easy. And that's okay. And I think since you started it like right from the beginning, you didn't have to sort of retrofit it. When you started, you had sort of things in place then going back and saying, oops, we should look at our suppliers or we should, you know. One thing to note quickly is that B-Lab is actually responsible for a lot of the benefit corporation structure that has rolled out via various states. As John mentioned, we were truly a a guinea pig in obtaining both at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, the majority of B Corps still do not have a benefit corporation status, but that's because the state legislation is still forthcoming. But that is uh, a movement that is growing. Yeah, some states don't have a benefit corporation. Exactly. But I think the main reason why this is happening is, again, the focus on stakeholders and shareholders. Being in a private sector business, there has been a lot of change that we've all experienced and we've all instigated as 
uh, corporations and businesses, but we are finding that the larger ecosystem of investors, of service providers, of others who may be stakeholders in our businesses, uh, that ecosystem has not yet evolved to the same degree. Mm -hmm. And so this benefit corporation status allows us to make sure that that's front and center, you know, whenever we have conversations with investors and other stakeholders. Empower stands for micro power design. What does that mean? Yeah, so it's uh, micro. It's an acronym, right? So micro pseudo acronym. It's uh, micro is personally owned. You have ownership of something, and that's really important when it comes to energy. We believe, which is different than paying for your energy as you go. Uh, so when you have a Lucy light, um, you have your own light, and you just have the sun, which is abundant. So personally owned. Mm -hmm. Micro power is obviously for us solar, but it's also empowering uh, as the play on the full name. And then design, it's both functionality, right? A strong functionality, but also that high design I alluded to earlier that really is important. We simply make products for people. And if you make a product for someone that they enjoy using, a high design and not at necessarily a high price, um, that person will utilize that product and it will be good for them, their community and the environment. I remember buying a solar lamp in the early 90s. This is just a garden path light. And the light was so minimal. The lumens was such a dim light. And of course, I didn't use it after some time because it didn't really serve. Has the technology changed and evolved since then? And does it give the same amount of light as a LED powered by electricity or a normal bulb? powered by electricity? Our lights range in terms of, of lumens. So we do use solar panels with you know high efficiency output. We use uh, batteries that are large enough to retain this energy. Um, we have lights that upon a single full charge can last up to 50 hours or more, uh, which is pretty substantial if you're taking these lights, you know, camping that several nights worth, or again, in the case of a natural disaster. So I would say the technology has evolved. Um, also, many of our lights have uh, USB charging capabilities. So if you do not have enough sun before you're going on your camping trip, for instance, you can simply charge the light in your car while you're driving to your destination. So we've innovated quite a bit around technology because we do understand that our lights are being used in some pretty adventurous and rugged set of circumstances. Um, so design and functionality are very important, and we continue to kind of push that envelope when it comes to technology. Mm -hmm. Just one last thing to note in terms of the breadth of our product innovation. You know, John has mentioned our traditional lanterns, uh, starting from the inflatable versions. Um, but we also have products like, you know, the world's first solar modular bike light set. So it's a front and a rear bike light that charge together. They're held together by magnets. And then, of course, you know, you can put them on the front and back of your bike. And it's also rechargeable via USB. So a lot of our innovations are, are pushing outside of the sphere of just the lantern using some of the technology that um, we've discovered and we're continuing to incorporate. 50 hours on a lantern is, is a big jump because I remember being in a camp in India in, I want to say, 2001 or so. And the solar lanterns that were available there on that camp, it would just give us enough light, say, from dusk 
to bedtime, you know, just for you to have your dinner and then they had to put it out for it to charge and do that. So that's pretty commendable that the technology has changed so much and it is actually is useful for multiple days with charging and combined with that for it to be even be charged with a USB. I think you raise a really good point that we, we should address. So the garden light that you're talking about is a very sort of small light with a very small battery and a very small solar panel and a very low output of light mm-hmm. and a low price actually. So it's generally to light up or, or to define a path by in your garden. And so that can be anywhere from 5 to 10 lumens. Our lights go up to 360 lumens, so you can see the difference. Uh pun intended, I guess. <laughs> so I'm trying to visualize your company. How do these innovations happen? You know, I do love the bike uh light and just thinking that I should probably get this as a gift for a friend of mine who bikes around the city. So how do you think about these things? Do you acquire these innovations or do you sit down with a drawing board and do all these things yourself in-house? Oh, we got a camp and we ideate. I'm just kidding. I'll let Sangha answer because I think it's really important. Sangha as a female having her name on a number of USPTO patents is really exciting for me and for us as a company. Mm-hmm. And it's just fantastic to work with her as it was with, you know, the original inventor as well. It's a shared experience. It's we versus me and inventions come out of, you know, critical conversations and thought and, you know, is something commercializable etc. But I think Sangha should speak to that. How what our process So our process is internal and it's a lot of dialogue as John mentioned. A lot of the ideas uh, originate from one of the two of us through conversations, through some of our travels actually, meeting our consumers whether again on the emerging market side or, you know, through visits with key retailers and sales uh, staff members, etc. What John alluded to as well though is that less than 5% of US patent holders are women. So there's a huge disadvantage that seems to be systematic uh when it comes to new inventions and there was actually I believe it was either a Yale or a Brown University study that tracked this. Mm-hmm. So within our company we try to be as inclusive as possible. So in addition to John and myself, we have had other team members join in the ideation process and also contribute key form factor elements etc to our products and so we do have some uh, co-inventors also named on some of our patents but to us it all starts internally and what's really critical is to understand the needs of our consumers mm-hmm. understand you know the keys to all the technology that we have internally and then to work very closely with all of our various stakeholders to really come up with product that is inspirational that you know has all the functionality that we're looking for again for our consumers all around the world How large is your team? Right now we're about uh 16 people. Um we work fully remotely since the pandemic. We've decided that that actually suits our needs more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So it is a very small team, but we've had tremendous impact globally. We've impacted over 4 million lives to date. So we're really proud of our work and proud of our team that has helped us. Where are your products made? They're made overseas. All the design and industrial detailing is done here in the US and then we manufacture overseas. No reason to be apologetic because we all are trying to run a business to make it accessible 
I will also say domestically in the Western Hemisphere, there hasn't been a great deal of support for solar technology. We have tried very hard, actually, to locate sources uh, that could manufacture our product. To date, there are so few manufacturing facilities with this capability, and many of them are not able to manufacture a full turnkey product. Mm -hmm. So I do think that it's an area where, in general, we haven't set up the infrastructure here in the western half of the globe. So it's not even just a cost issue. It is the fact that you don't have a person, a factory, which was able to make the product from start to finish. The cost, as you mentioned, is really key. And this is a great teaching moment. So for millennials, et cetera, if you're demanding very low prices, you're looking for very high wages in your country. Mm -hmm. That is a recipe for offshore uh, production um, because who's going to make the products that you're willing to pay for? So there is an important shared responsibility that we all have in looking at ourselves, at our own buying patterns, at what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Uh, in our lives and what we're willing to sacrifice and or pay for a product. Governments also play a role in this and what they subsidize and what markets they subsidize. And unfortunately, in the U.S., solar has not been subsidized in the same way fossil fuels have. And in other countries, it has. I would even go so far as to say in a prior administration, solar was actually uh, the subject of multiple tariffs. So again, it's a larger discussion, uh, but from everything from manufacturing to importation mm -hmm. uh, barriers, uh, there has not been the support that we would like to see around you know, solar sustainable products. So do you anticipate any changes? And you're part of the American Sustainable Business Council, which also does and works on policy change and bringing about those to the attention of legislatures and our government. Do you hope that these changes will come about? That's correct. And I, I should also note that I'm the chair of the board of Social Venture Circle, which is in a, an alliance with the American Sustainable Business Council for this very purpose, mm -hmm. for companies like us to be able to participate in policy changes. You know, that's why we're part of ASBC. It's critical because we can see some of the shortfalls and the failings of our our government in terms of supporting industries and businesses like us. So for us to band together and, you know, ensure that our voice is heard is important for our long-term future and for other companies like us who may want to innovate in this space. Different countries have government involvements in CSR projects. The governments have rules in which they say, if you have revenues over X amount, you have to set aside 2% of your revenues, not profit, for CSR projects. Would such things work in America? We are such an individualistic society. I'd go further than that. It's not just the individualism. I think that, you know, when Sunga's talking about the lobby she alluded to, it's small compared to the real big lobbies uh, in this country. And it's, it's an uphill battle. And frankly, although we are a democracy and we're not listed as number one anymore, hopefully we'll get back there. But mm -hmm. once people are, are elected, uh, much of the policy is driven by lobbyists and not those who elected the public servants. And so 
you're alluding to is relying on the private sector to do what the government should be doing if we are paying taxes. I actually absolutely think the private sector can and should do that. However, I don't think the final responsibility falls upon that when all governments in the world should be looking at climate in the way they do, and they should be aligning their objectives with the survival of the human race. I don't think it's a lot to ask. Mm -hmm. As I always say, the world will be fine uh, no matter what, but humans might not be. And so if you don't take care of your home, you're not going to have one. Part of your mission is to have impact. How do you have an impact? Start with one thing. I know you do have multiple. So I'll give you one example. Our most recent impact endeavor or program is with the Norwegian Refugee Council. We're proud and honored to work with them. And that's in Honduras. And that's with farmers. Uh, and it's also around not just the sustainability of the farmers that need light and communication to the market, <laughs> because our lights also charge uh, mobile phones, but also in terms of migration and that crisis that's going on. Um, so that's a wonderful uh, example of somewhere that our lights are being used. And we're very proud of that. We generally look towards what is relevant and then are agnostic about the issue, the government, those sort of things. We are, again, creating products for people who are not victims. And we are trying to provide tools for them to have the same sort of luck that, that I was born into. We work with over 700 NGO partners, and these partners are the ones who deploy our lights. Um, some of these partners are small community-based organizations, and some of them are quite large, like the International Medical Corp., the Red Cross, Save the Children, etc. Mm -hmm. So depending on the programs that each of these NGO partners is running, we're able to impact lives through a variety of different means. Female empowerment is one of them when it comes to entrepreneurs or to basic safety mm -hmm. and care for their families, whereby our lights are used in replacement of harmful kerosene or firewood. Other settings include uh, medical settings. So there was a wonderful case study with International Medical Corp whereby our lights were given in exchange for vaccinations and they saw the vaccination rates increase significantly because there was a trust barrier uh, that had existed previously. But when um, these women were given lights for them to use at home with their families, then they brought their families to be vaccinated. And so you sell these through these nonprofits, right? Our business model is such that we sell our lights at full retail through retailers such as REI and, and independent stores all around the world. Mm -hmm. But we also tier our margin structures to sell to NGOs, governments, corporations for distribution in emerging markets. Also, though, we do have a program called Give Lucy, whereby consumers can participate directly and purchase a light for distribution, again, through our NGO partners. So with our NGOs, sometimes there's a combination whereby they're procuring and sometimes they receive lights from us that have been donated through corporations or consumers purchasing them. So you kind of work as a way to connect people to overcome the difficulties that they are facing. We're a vehicle for change, basically, and we're a vehicle for change for corporations, for NGOs, for your regular consumer. 
And that's something that we we're pride ourselves on. One thing to mention, it's really important that you know people don't reduce impact and what's necessary at a certain given time. And a lot of people say, well, you should never give anything away, always sell, um, or you should never sell, frankly. I mean, there's all sorts of opinions. Frankly, we should do both. Mm-hmm. And it depends on the situation. Right. When a school in Nepal gets flooded, as just did recently uh, with one of our NGO partners, we're going to be giving lights to that area. Mm-hmm. That's a dire situation that's very different than programmatic human development as we do in Papua New Guinea, where we have women's buying groups buying and selling the lights. Again, we don't want to be reductive. Uh, we want to teach the next generation that these issues are complex but solvable. You shouldn't sort of pigeonhole your model. Sanka, you, you were about to say something? I think ultimately our goal is to provide the lights, again, as John mentioned, whether subsidized or whether for free because there's a natural disaster. Our goal is to really make sure that we're meeting the needs of that local economy. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means just changing the pricing of the lights so that local economy can sustain the cost of the lights. But then sometimes it means coming in during a natural disaster and simply providing the community with the lights. Coming back to your products, how long do the products last in general? So we have a one-year warranty anywhere in the world. That's sort of the base. And at that point, we would just get another light to that individual no matter where they are, generally through the channels that we initiated the, the deployment. But our lights last a very long time. You know, the battery is the one area of the light that reduces over time, but it's not really material. Uh, and I love that pun as well. The LEDs last forever. Mm-hmm. Generally, our lights last. So as an example that I like to give, Save the Children has had lights in preparedness in their warehouses for now eight years, um, and they still turn on and they still work and they're still fine. You know, this isn't um, a produce item. <laughs> this isn't a one-time use item. And that's very important for sustainability. And can they be recycled at the end of it? In some ways, come back to you, reused some parts? Yes, we have a full recycling program. Uh, we actually had a wonderful intern one year from the University of Chicago who set up this uh, recycling program. So anyone can return mm-hmm. a light to our office and 100% of that light will be recycled. How do you manage that? You have such a small team and you're doing so many things. You're managing 700 NGOs, you're innovating, you're dealing with the whole supply chain of manufacturing and it coming here, the e-commerce. How do you guys manage? Like, What is your secret sauce as a company culture? Maybe there is something to do with that. That's my nickname, Sauce, so I'll answer that real quickly. <laughs> really? <laughs> so we have a very talented team. I mean, that's number one, two, and three. We have a very talented team. And then we also have partners and vendors, retailers, etc., that buy in figuratively and literally into our mission and support us. So we cannot do this alone. It has to be sort of the queen's we. And really... Uh, Without the help that we get from those who also want to be a vehicle for change, we wouldn't be able to do this alone. Is there any moment in this journey which gave you so much happiness that you had created an impact? Is there one moment in John or Sangha's journey with Empowered? So there have been a number of moments. They all 
for me, go back to individual letters or stories that we've received. We have, you know, saved people's lives and that's always extremely touching. I think for me, based upon my personal background, I cannot share the name of the organization due to safety concerns, but there is an organization that has helped us distribute our Lucy Lights to North Korea. I've been able to firsthand see some of the photos of our Lucy Lights in action and it is extremely moving, again, because I have had relatives, you know, in North Korea and just the lack of access to almost anything. Mm -hmm. To see our Lucy Lights lighting up mobile health clinics and just helping people even do very simple things like read um, has been extremely moving. And for Joan, growing up in New York, how have some of these incidents, how have some of these things changed your life or, and perspectives? Yeah, I think they've bolstered my perspectives, my resolve uh, to do something I and mean, to make some sort of imprint on our world that's positive. Mm-hmm. There's 4 million stories, right? So I'm not going to give you all this right now. But I will say that uh, one that's very near and dear to me, because it's an urban story in the United States, is a partner, Jaquiel Jackson who has uh, an incredible NGL. He started it when he was, was it 12 or 13, Sangha, years old. Uh, has very progressive parents as well. And it's called Project I Am. And he's from the south side of Chicago, and he noticed, saw, and didn't feel good about homelessness, talked to his parents about it, and started an organization where he gives out tens of thousands of these, what he calls, blessing bags, which are, you know, necessary items to those that are unfortunate enough to not have a home. Mm -hmm. We've donated lights to him several times. I've gone on stage and spoken with this eloquent young man. He then became a CNN young wonder. So that for me really resonates because it hits home. New York has a homeless uh, issue. It's important to not just offshore all of your solutions, but to help domestically and locally as well. You know, I would say that particular relationship we have is a really wonderful one. So if our listeners want to be part of your journey. Is there a way they can come along? Homelessness everywhere has increased so much. Like I have no words, um, post-pandemic, pre-pandemic, you know, so is there a way that they can come along with you? Absolutely. So anyone can go to our website, that's empowered.com, M-P-O-W-E-R-D.com. And by simply purchasing a light, you can help us on our journey. You can also purchase a Give Lucy, uh, which specifically will go towards one of our NGO partners. You can read more about some of these stories and our partners on our blog and, you know, get involved that way through social media, through overall general support. And then depending on who you are, if you're part of a corporation or an organization and you would like to see if there's a CSR opportunity to work with us, we are very creative, we're very inventive, and um, we do very good work. So I'm sure that there is a way to partner. Mm-hmm. Lastly, too, our products, we co-brand. So whether you're having a wedding or you're a Peace Corps volunteer or, you know, you work at you know, a huge company and you're having a conference and you want to give a sustainable gift, these are all different ways that you can participate. And we'd be thrilled to have you, you know, on this journey with us. And also we have the next generation. How do we educate them about these sort of technologies, clean technologies that are available to us? 
Uh, we do have a STEM kit, actually, which is in every Barnes and Nobles, as an example. And it is a deconstructible, hard-bodied Lucy light that has a battery, a solar panel, and uh, a board. And it can explain uh, through its... Uh, we have two opportunities. One is through a booklet that comes with it. One is a learning module or curriculum that educators can and have used. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you can also buy that on our website. And especially now with some of the learning changes going digital and teaching your own child uh, things, um, and a lot of that falling on the parents, it's a great tool, but it is necessary to start at a very young age and instill, you know, appropriate values on people and planet. What's next for Empowered? That's a great question. So to date, our main focus has been on solar lighting products, all branded under the name Lucy. Starting next year, we will be branching into another realm of products. Mm -hmm. So next year, we'll be coming out with an entirely new product platform that will be marketed under the brand named Viri, and it will be in the realm of energy storage power devices. Thank you so much, Sangha and John, for coming on Mindful Businesses. It was a pleasure to talk to you, and I can feel and hear your passion in the subject of clean energy. We thank you so much. It was an honor. Thank you for letting us share our story. You're listening to Mindful Businesses with Vedya Ayer. If a mindful brand or would like to recommend a mindful brand to be featured on our show, send an email to info at mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. Subscribe and listen to us on your favorite podcast listening app. Remember to rate and review us. To learn more about this and our other episodes, check out our website, mindfulbusinessespodcast.com. If you learned a thing or two on this episode, share it with one friend. This is Vidya Ayer with Mindful Businesses.